Hey guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host as always, Steve Hall, and today I am with Mel Davies. So hopefully you know Mel. Uh, if you don't, she has been on the podcast before, and I definitely recommend you check that episode out because it was really good. And we have the pleasure of having her back on the show. Uh, for those of you who don't know Mel, uh, she has a PhD in neurobiology and behavior and has 10 years of research experience, maybe even actually more years of that now. Uh, that might be a bit old. Um, also currently a, Jew, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt um, and is incredibly good at that sporting and I, I've seen how many trophies that you've been winning and her speciality is helping clients learn and effectively utilize the tools she gives them to lose fat gain muscle and perform and that's going to be something we're going to be diving into today is there anything else you want to kind of let the listeners know anything that's changed recently for you Mel I uh, know that's a pretty good summary <laughs> cool. So we're going to be going over evidence-based practice for habit formation and goal acquisition. Um, so I don't know if it would be helpful for the listeners to first of all think about um, a definition for like habits and goals, and then yeah. you can dive into it however you like. Yeah, for sure. So habit is an automatic response. I actually wrote down the exact definition, so I'm going to read it. It's an automatic response developed via context-dependent repetition. So what that basically means is when you as a human are presented with a new situation, you sort of have unlimited choices for what you might do in that situation. But once you've made the same decision a couple of times, for lack of a better explanation, there's sort of a paved pathway in your brain that will automatically tend you in the direction of making that decision again. And the more you make that decision, the more likely you will be to make it again in the future. And the context dependent part just means that there will be certain cues, sort of like you think about in drug addiction, where if you're exposed to those cues, it increases your likelihood of making the decision. And those are the cues that you made the initial decision in when you first started the habit. Is there so any... for instance, if oh, you have a say. friend who, sorry, yeah. Any <laughs> examples, example. yeah. If you have a buddy who, you know, you've been going out to pizza buffet and like beer bonanza every Friday for two years. When you see that friend, you're probably going to get hungry for pizza and beer. It's just like a very simple example, but it, it gets more complex, but you get the idea. So I guess there's obviously that could be a, a good or bad habit. However, like you like to think about it um, for some people right. that could send them the wrong way. Are there any ways of like, we can develop, make kind of good habits. And is there a way that we can kind of think about getting that done? Yeah, absolutely. So what when you have a bad habit, really the only way to get rid of it is to replace it with a new better habit. So when you start doing that, when you start um, creating a new habit, there's a couple things you can do that really help. Um, first of all, you I have a whole a whole list. I don't want to like go off on a rampage right now and have you not talk at all. So I'll just walk through really simply the sort of four steps to habit formation the way I think about it. And then we can pause and delve into them okay. um, one by one. But I'll summarize them quickly first. So first, deciding on your goal or the habit change that you want to make, making sure that it's something you actually intrinsically want and it's not an external pressure. We're much more likely to uh, succeed in our goals if they're intrinsically driven rather than driven by fear of punishment or uh, hope of reward, that kind of thing. Make sure it's a realistic sort of uh, time constrained and well-defined goal. So making a super general goal like I want to get healthier is really hard to quantify and track. And so it's hard to achieve. So making it very specific, um, spending some time learning about how to reach that goal uh, and then making the steps 
to change your habits. So when we get to that part, that's when we can really dive in. So I'm going to skip and we'll come back. And then just sustaining that goal and realizing that the process of habit changing is very difficult. It's your brain. You are actually having to change your brain and you have to expect there to be slip ups and mistakes. It takes somewhere between two months to a year, depending on the habit to change. Um, so not beating yourself up over the initial slip ups and realizing that just consistently working towards less and less slip ups is the best that you can do. Yeah, I really like that idea of not beating yourself up about it because I think in many ways, it reminds me of anything that you're trying to learn that's new. Like a, it's almost right. like a new skill, um, exactly. I guess, as yeah. forming a habit. It's a, it's a brain training process for sure. And I like to, so one of the anecdotes, I guess it's both an anecdote and actual data. Um, there's a research paper where they asked a bunch of people, do you plan to get in shape this year, right? And then they took all of the people who said yes. And a year later, they went back and asked them, did you do anything to work towards that goal? And 50% of them had done nothing to work towards that goal. So if you have actually started in the process of changing your habits, you're already better than 50% of the people. So pat yourself on the back and sort of keep going through the struggles of actually doing it. Yeah, I guess the something you mentioned there was kind of making it specific and goal, well, not goal-driven, um, time, like an element of when right. are you going to have it done by? Because I guess without that, without a deadline, people are just like, hmm. And then without specific steps that you also talked about, it's kind yeah. of, again, how people will find that really hard. Uh, I don't know if you have any kind of examples that you commonly do with clients and maybe you can take us through how you take them yeah. through that. I, so in terms of constraining the goal um, by time, I usually tell people it's very hard for the human brain to conceptualize further out than a year. After that, it's basically fantasy. So it's very hard to make any concrete goals in what your brain perceives as fantasy land, right? So keeping your goals, your broad goals to within a year, and then your shorter steps to the broad goals in like three to six months chunks is usually a good idea. And then I think, well, we can, let's dive into the actual habit formation stuff. Now we can come back to these uses. I think that's the most um, interesting part. So when you're actually starting to build a new habit, one of the really interesting things that can be helpful is tying that new habit to an already stable cue in your life. In other words, if you're trying to work out three times a week, instead of saying, say, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1 p.m., saying Monday, Wednesday, Friday after I drop my kids off at soccer or whatever, or football, I guess, for you guys, huh? Um, or whatever it is. So once you can tie it to something that's already an automatic response in your life, your chances of sticking to the new habit are better than if you give even a specific time to do that habit. Cool. So I think that's a really interesting one. Um, another one is, so just to rewind back, we call the, the difference between your intention and your behavior, the intention behavior gap. So when you say, I want to work out five times a week, or I want to lose five kilos or whatever it is, but your behavior doesn't reflect that, that's habits fault. So habits persist even when your motivation changes. So bridging that intention behavior gap is a big part of habit formation. And one of the other things you can do is what we call implementation intentions. And this is a really silly thing that makes you feel kind of dumb when you're doing it, but it's things like 
if you're going out and you don't want to drink because you're working on fat loss right now, you know, your friends are all going out, sitting at home and saying to yourself, if the bartender asks me what I want, I will say Diet Coke. It sounds ridiculous yeah. to say out loud, but it actually has been shown to alter the likelihood of what decision oh. you'll make when you're in that sort of snap decision moment later on. I guess that sounds a lot like uh, almost like visualizing, like people talk about visualizing a lift and completing it. It's very much right. like, I wonder if it's, I wonder if it's anything to do, like link to that in I'm some sure, ways. Actually, I think it's very similar because some of the, the visualization, vis, visualization that we do, if you look at MRI scans of the brain, you can't tell the difference between someone who's imagining, you know, lifting their hand up into a fist and someone who's actually doing it in the MRI machine. So your brain is very much firing in a similar way as if you were really doing it. So it sort of, I think, helps start to pave that pathway to the new habit. Cool. So obviously you said linking it to an, like an already made habit. I think a lot of people can, th I don't know, uh, one that automatically comes to mind is when people are like trying to take their creatine or something. It's like, well, right. take it with breakfast or take it with your protein right. shake. And I guess that's a, a really easy way to think about things. But um, like starting new habits and like joining it with another one. I don't know if you've got any common examples that you end up taking clients through with that. Yeah, I think the creatine is a really good example just because if you imagine in your life saying like, okay, I'm going to take creatine every day at 12. Like what are the chances you're yeah. going to forget? But if you're like, okay, I'm going to have, I'm going to put the creatine in my coffee every morning. I'd never leave the house without my coffee. So then when you start making your coffee, you're going to be like, oh yeah, creatine. But the chances that you glance at the clock, see one o'clock and you're like, oh, creatine are much lower. So that's a really, really good example. Um, I think keeping a schedule too, when you're starting to, you know, change your meals and change your lifestyle and things like that, you can't necessarily tie every meal to a specific cue. Yeah. You know, maybe you want to eat six meals a day. You don't have six specific cues to tie them to, but keeping a consistent time daily even if you have to sort of shift your ideal nutrient timing can be better for starting the habit. And then you can shift it into optimal once the habit's there to refine it. If that makes sense. Yeah, completely. Um, and then obviously you talked about um, breaking goals down. So I guess a big common one is like, I don't know, I want to lose like two kilo, uh, not two kilos, like 20 kilos, <laughs> like in a year, maybe, or in a few years, right. they might say something like that. Um, and I guess that seems like a long distance, like far away thing and I guess yeah. you can as a coach I guess you commonly would like plan that out into like box of like progression and then maybe even periods of maintenance yeah for sure and then I think something to do too is so a lot of people um you talk about like when you're forming your goals so this goes to my first step which is decide so when you're thinking about what your goals are if you're, you know, like lounging on the couch, having a delicious meal and a beer, and you've just had like a relaxing day, what you think that you can achieve is going to be much bigger than if you are either already cutting or you're in the middle of a hard workout and someone asks you like, what do you want to achieve this year? You might moderate it a little, right? Yeah. So sometimes it's a good idea to have someone start, say they want to lose those 20 kilos, just say, okay, we're going to start a diet right now. It's going to be a 12 week diet or whatever. We're going to start with a very moderate pace. Once we get you like about a month into that diet and tell you like this is sort of middle ground for what you can lose across time, then you decide, do you really want to bump it up to the maximum pace? And almost always people are like, nope, I'm perfectly <laughs> happy with this. It's uncomfortable, but I'm making progress. I don't want to suffer anymore. I'll wait a little longer. So I think 
being in the thick of it helps you make more realistic. So like making those realistic goals is really important and being in the thick of the struggle helps you be more realistic with what you can achieve and what trade-offs you're sort of willing to make. Yeah, like it's it's completely true that a lot of people they don't they just don't know what's involved for a particular goal yeah. and um like I don't know even like learning a language or something when you can break it into its kind of smaller components and you can I don't know, even reading a book like you read a chapter yeah. a night or read a chapter a week uh, make that realistic and achievable for you and I guess for physique development um, a lot of the time it's kind of like getting that buy-in initially allowing them to yeah. actually see some progress and then being like well where do we want to go from here yeah how much more can you take and some people can take more and that's fine but it puts them in a position to make a good decision because most people will just ask for the fastest yeah most furious you know pace possible without knowing what is going to be involved do you ever take a client down like the more aggressive route and you almost you know maybe it's gonna f- fall flat on its face you almost do it it's like <laughs> a lesson for them to be like this is what it's like, yeah. like experience Every once week. in a while, yeah, they, they tell me what they want and I'm like, that's going to suck. And they insist and insist and I'm like, okay. And then sometimes they can handle it and I'm impressed and we carry on. Other times they're like, you were right, take me back. <laughs> Give me some fats back. And but, yeah. with the, I know you said bad habits need to be kind of replaced with good habits. Are there any <laughs> like common examples or even uncommon examples that you've come across with your clients who that you've been able to like swap in something else? Yeah, so I think um, I had a client, so this is sort of a combination of a habit and an obligation. She was kind of a high-powered businesswoman, and she worked with all all of her other like coworkers that she had to do these like fancy dinners and things with were sort of older men who smoked cigars and drank whiskey. And she felt like she couldn't show weakness, like being on a diet would be weakness. And she had to like keep up her whiskey and smoking and eating with them sort of habits. And I, this sort of comes into the social support aspect of it, but it's also very important. I told her, you know what, just tell them I have this important goal. I'm sticking to it. And I was like, people respect that. If you come in, do that, stick to your guns, they're going to respect it. And she did. And it ended up like, several of the guys who she worked with were started asking her about her diet and ended up doing like RP templates and things wow. because <laughs> they saw her getting results and they were so impressed. So I think people, um, some of the things we have that might be perceived as habits are more external pressures. Yeah. And I think uh, learning to just sort of own what you want in the face of adversity turns out better than most people think it will. No, I definitely agree. I think it's anyone who's been doing this long enough, I'm sure you're the same, Mel, like you have friends who aren't into it and then you kind of, yeah. you eventually get to a point where you're just like, I just need to explain this. And I mean, I personally barely ever drink and it's just like people yeah. almost almost expect it of me now. They're just like, oh yeah, you like you're yeah, not drinking. Yeah. They, they kind you get of, to a point, sorry, uh, I was ahead. just going to say, they kind of get it, they kind of don't, but they respect They've it. They've accepted think. it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think uh, you can also get a lot of people have friends who try to pressure them to eat and drink, but I tell them to try to sort of flip that and get the friends to be more of their, like, I call it negative cheerleaders, like get them to harass you, like, should you be eating that? Should you be (laughs) drinking that? And then they're still messing with you, so they're having fun and they have a way to deal with this thing that you're doing that they don't totally understand, but it sort of gives you a more uh, positive push rather than the other way around. A hundred percent. And I guess 
is there any um i guess when you with the different phases that a physique competitor goes through like cutting massing to maintenance these habits i guess it's hard because some of them are positive Change. in some fa- phases and then not others yeah how do you kind of yeah. deal with that i think that's a really good point i think that you have overall sort of healthy habits so that whether you're cutting or massing or in maintenance you're you know you go for mostly healthy foods you take whatever vitamins you might need you work out regularly at the times that you plan to work out you keep a schedule you have those kinds of habits but obviously the details of the diet and training are going to change so i think having the overarching habit of just being very consistent when you set out a plan like sticking to the schedule train you know you train legs mondays and thursdays or whatever and it never switches to tuesday and wednesday or things like that like you keep it your habit is to be precise so I think to some degree, um, some of these things have to be flexible. If your habit is cutting, you end up being, you know, a dysfunctional person. Mm-hmm. With, you know, I don't want to say anorexia because that's a whole other load of things, but you end up being borderline eating disorder yeah. if you make cutting your habit. Yeah, I think it's something I've experienced and seen and something you importantly said is like, I guess it's kind of like a transition sometimes with these, like you, you almost don't want to drop all your kind of cutting habits immediately when you get into even right. racing because right. uh, yeah. otherwise you might go way overboard go a little overboard <laughs> so I think that's a good point in just like I, I think people sometimes feel bad that they're maybe I don't know having some sweeteners or like diet drinks during a, like a mass phase it's like well if that's keeping you where you need to be um, right. then it's probably okay and uh, I think it's it's for me I think I've now been, it's since 2017, I'd been kind of in a, a prolonged mass phase. It's only now that some of the like, I don't know, I don't feel like I need a diet soda or chewing gum to like right, right. hold my appetite. <laughs> it's almost like opposite. So I think just the idea that transitioning is absolutely fine with those different phases. Yeah. Yeah. And I think something else that I like to talk about is, you know, we say the longer a habit goes on, the harder it's going to be to break. But that doesn't mean that because you have had bad habits that have led to too much weight gain that, you know, you start a diet now right before your vacation. So that habit doesn't go any longer. What you can do is start working on things that will help you get to that goal in the future, like work on getting your meal timing right. Even though you're not lowering your calories, work on, you know, knowing how much protein is, is in each meal and paying attention to those details. Make those kinds of habits that will support your goal when you do start the fat loss or mass gain phase or whatever it is. Absolutely. Um, and I've, I don't know if you've ever seen, I guess, unfortunately, eating disorders, and we kind of touched on a little bit with like just permanent cutting, but something like a binge eating behavior, I think that yeah. can almost, I've seen with people and it's nothing I've ever suffered some, from, so I don't really get it quite as well, but it almost yeah. sounds like sometimes that becomes habitual. And I don't know if you've ever oh, absolutely. used yeah. like, tried to replace the binge with like I don't know a positive habit or I don't know if that can even work yeah I think so one of the things that I have um, clients do who have had that issue is to start doing something where they're when they're on a maintenance phase and they're exposed to you know a treat or a tasty food or something they have the opportunity to eat sit with themselves for a few minutes before they make the decision to eat it and ask like is this one of my favorite foods do I really love this or am I just like compulsively eating it because I'm allowed to? So making the habit of deciding, realizing that you have the opportunity to eat tasty foods later, this isn't your last chance. And then taking some minutes to decide before, because habits are automatic, right? Yeah. So if you see the cue and you go automatically into the behavior, you're done. 
if you see the cue, you pause and give some time between cue exposure and behavior, then you have the opportunity instead of making an automatic response to make a thoughtful response. So when you're about to order the like macaroni and cheese with bacon all over it and like two pieces of pie, stop and be like, do I really even like that that much? Or do I just feel compelled Mm -hmm. to buy it? If you really like it, order it, enjoy it. If you're like, ah, it's not actually my favorite, whatever, I'm going to have, you know, chicken salad or something more reasonable, then you're sort of altering that automatic response to just eat it because it's there. Yeah. No, I really like that. I think that's a really big one because I think that can probably, you can probably apply that to loads of different scenarios where you always just think about what you're doing because I guess... Even like going to the cinema, people like automatically get like popcorn or like whatever it might be. And if you just have the habit of before you eat something, just question yourself, is that something that's going to take me further to my goals? Yeah, absolutely. Or like, yeah, even if it's going to take me back, is this thing worth it to me? Every once in a while, you know, like you run into something like I love Napoleon's, the like little custard layered treats. Right. And they don't sell those very often in the United States. So if I'm on maintenance and I see that, I'm eating it because I rarely <laughs> see them and I love them. But maybe like a cupcake or some other thing, like, ah, I don't need that right now. Yeah. That's not my favorite. Absolutely. And I guess... It's like we, giving yourself the freedom to have the choice. Yeah. And um, we kind of talked about a bit of kind of training um, and diet stuff. I guess sleep is a big one as well. Have you been able to like get people into habits and via that breakdown for sleep? Yeah, that's that's a big one. And that's something that um, James talks about a lot, too, in his recovery stuff. But you having the the time that you go to sleep being nearly religiously the same on your schedule. I mean, maybe like Saturdays and Sundays, it's midnight and Monday through Friday, it's 10. But it's always the same on those days. And getting your full whatever you need, you know, some people need six, some people need 10. If you're training a lot, you probably need eight to 10. Um that is actually going to help you make better decisions. It makes you less likely to sort of do these automatic compulsive responses for whatever reason. I don't even think that that research has been fleshed out, but your brain is better at being reasonable when you've had a good amount of sleep for sure. Yeah. I think I remember reading in uh, why we sleep by Matthew Walker. That it's like similar, like being sleep deprived is similar to being like drunk, which doesn't sound great. You think how yeah. many people are actually sleep deprived like on the road or um, yeah. in making big decisions. So that's quite scary. So uh, do you ever find, do people ever get kind of anxious? I guess I know they do because I do as well, kind of when they get away from their habits, like they're so well ingrained that when maybe yeah. they go on holiday or they're, I don't know, taken away with work, how do you ever kind of find ways to keep that from spiraling into something you don't want? Yeah, that's that's a tough one. I, some people, you know, you, they're so good. I've had a couple clients that have been like this. They're so good and they're so precise that even, you know, on maintenance, their calories are like within a hundred of, assigned and they're just every meal is perfect and they never miss a day of training and i would say if people are happy like that and they can go on vacation and continue that and continue to be happy it's totally fine but if they find it disruptive then learning to let go like twice a year having uh just a week off Mm -hmm. of just no training and no diet is probably a good idea to help them like be able to be flexible Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess some of the the things that we do almost need like you need a break from it. You kind of then need yeah. to recharge to be able to keep doing it because I guess sometimes Absolutely. it becomes kind of tiring and difficult to do. Yeah. yeah. 
so, those like active rest weeks can be really yeah. really refreshing <laughs> yeah i think it's i know i personally I, I think a lot of people end up finding it hard to take them so holidays are the perfect time to just almost right. force yourself out of your ha- habits because otherwise you will just go and do it <laughs> right it becomes right. far too easy and the body wants to i guess yeah for sure can we recap the four stages just so that I yeah. don't want, maybe we can delve into if we haven't delved into them all. Yeah, I think I have some more um, forming new habits stuff. So just recapping, deciding, making sure that it is an achievable goal. You're willing to make the trade-offs. You actually understand what the trade-offs are and those are acceptable to you to give up, to get what you want. Making sure it's a measurable, concrete, time-constrained goal and then preparing sort of oh this is actually a little side note i like to get into um a lot of people when they're sort of preparing to achieve a goal they're looking to you know their instagram heroes and the fitness models and things that they see and they're looking at what they do and then trying to copy that when a lot of times those people are fit and amazing in spite of what they're doing right and it's not going to get you to your goal. So just making sure that during the preparation phase, you're looking at evidence and not anecdote. So the like super jacked lean lady on Instagram who like doesn't eat any food until 6 p.m. and only eats 30 grams of proteins a- protein a day. Like she's looks the way she does because of genetics and she's like somehow scraping by despite her bad habits. So don't follow the anecdotal stuff. Um And then avoiding what I call productive procrastination, which is one of my favorite pitfalls. (laughs) I do it all the time. So when you're like, oh, I need to start, you know, I'm going to start, I'm going to run a half marathon and like lose some weight and I need to start training for it. But first I need to buy like eight pairs of tennis shoes for running and like two books on running. And then I need to listen to all these podcasts on weight loss when really you should probably just get started on it and like learn as you go. So that kind of thing is a, a, that's a pitfall I get into all the time, like reading more and buying more and doing more before I actually start Just start. Um, also just kind of starting with the basics. If you're totally new to something, we kind of all have a limited capacity for how much change we can make, how many habits we can replace at a time. So if you're trying to go from, you know, sitting on the couch and eating fast food every night to being a professional bodybuilder, you're probably going to crash and burn and fail. Just get yourself to eat some more salads and work out twice a week. And then once that's a habit, add more onto that. And I think even for those of us that are advanced, that's an important thing to think about when we want to make a change or do something a little different, or we're adding some sort of stress or like a, you know, getting another degree or going back to school, whatever it is we're adding to our life, like that's going to impact what we're able to achieve in other arenas. So thinking about, how many changes you're making at once and keeping that a little bit on the lower end. Um, And then in terms of forming new habits, my favorite thing to tell people is everything is your fault. And it sounds really harsh, but once everything is your fault, you get to own your successes and your failures. And it gives you the power to change the failures and make a new decision next time. So let's say you went on a work trip and you got laid over an airport and missed your flight and you were stuck there for eight hours and you say something like, oh, I had to eat Burger King because there's nothing else at the airport. It wasn't my fault. No, it was your fault. You should have had protein bars in your bag and a couple other options in case of this. So 
giving yourself blame for that gives you the opportunity to change it next time and not have the same thing interrupt your goal progress. So I like to get people to repeat that mantra. Everything's I, I absolutely love that. Um, and in <laughs> fact, I'm going to have to steal that. And now my clients are going to hate you <laughs> as well as hating me. <laughs> because quite often I do find myself not necessarily being like just kind of trying to say well you could have done this like in future you can do this um, but I think just actually telling them like whenever you're doing these things like just own it yeah and it's okay we make mistakes we all make mistakes like the progress to goal achievement is riddled with mistakes unless you're like a robot even robots make mistakes so you shouldn't have to feel that bad about it but taking the blame will allow you not have to feel bad about it twice yeah and it's always a just opportunity to learn and kind of know what to do next time and tackle it differently. And we're always faced with situations that I don't know, eventually you're going to be if the person, even with the best kind of, they've, exactly. got, if they've got a protein bar in their back pocket. There's going to be a time where they've, they need to eat that and they need another one. So right. everyone's always going to find a pitfall at some point, I guess. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's, a, it's not, it's not a guilt thing. It's an ownership thing. And I, I think the idea of like the productive pr procrastination is an excellent point as well, because I think that applies to not only like uh, physique development, but you can apply that to anything. I know I've done it with lots of different things like within business. And uh, I 100% agree that whenever you just dive in and you learn uh, on, along the way, that's generally better. Uh, so long as you have somewhat yeah. of an idea, I guess, of what you're getting into. Yeah. There's plenty of time to sort through the details and read a couple books as you're going along, but just getting started is sometimes the best way to go. Just to get the get the habit going. Like if you're, let's say you're starting, um, I'm actually starting an RD program right now because I want to learn more about uh, nutrition for people with metabolic disorders and things like that. So I started, I caught myself productively procrastinating a little. I was ordering all these books online and, you know, like highlighters and flashcards, but I hadn't finished the application to the RD program yet. So I was like, okay, Mel, let's take a step back. Let's, you know, put the application in, figure out what your classes are going to be and start doing things in order. There's plenty of time to study. You know, you know how to study, just jump in. So, yeah. And then the other one I wanted to touch on again was just that I thought it was brilliantly put because I think a lot of the time people do get overwhelmed by how many things they're trying to take on. And as a coach as well, sometimes you have, for us, we have a, like a lot of systems set up and it's kind of like, well, for most people, they can take all that on. But there's some people, they see all of that and they see all the data collection yeah. and they're like, wow, I can't do that. <laughs> so I think um, just reiterating for like people getting into it, but also for coaches, because I know we have many coaches listening, like you can scale back and then scale up, I yeah. guess. Um, I don't know how long. That's kind of Sorry, go better to do that. I think like there's a tendency when people maybe have more weight to lose or more habits to change, you know, someone's like 50 kilos overweight, your tendency is to be like, let's get on it and like get them moving fast and you know, get get them down because they're so far to go. But a lot of times those are the people for whom habits are even more ingrained, and it's going to be even harder to change and the likelihood of success is even lower. So starting even slower and more basic and more baby steps can be better for actual long term results, which is frustrating for people. But in terms of likelihood of, you know, I tell my clients, do you want to run 100 miles on a hamster wheel and get off in the same place? Or do you want to crawl slowly over a mile and wake up one day in a whole new spot? 
So I think it's important to think about um, and to sort of think about it opposite of what you might like the guy who comes in, who's already quite fit and he's been paying attention to nutrition. He not wants to take it up a notch. He's probably capable of making more bigger changes because he's been doing those things already. So, yeah, I guess this is unfortunately the pitfall of like, um, the, the what they call crash diets <laughs> i don't know why it's different yeah. crash diets because that is a load of changes that someone has to make and they're not sustainable changes right uh, whereas yeah, like exactly. you're saying you're kind of feeding them in and like then there be habits they've got for life um, right are there any habits that you've seen within like clients or even with yourself or just people that are just very kind of positive and ones that you would promote for the listeners or to take on see trying to think of a concrete example uh, i'll come back to me i'll i'll try to think of a an exact example <laughs> i i can only I, i'd be the same i would i kind of threw that at you but um i'd only <laughs> think of things like i don't know drinking like making sure to stay hydrated uh, always having a bottle of water on you or something like right, that right. but um i guess it's just the, the standard ones that we all kind of know i don't know one for me i i certainly know that helped a lot was always having like vegetables with meals although i don't do that now because i can't with the amount There's i'm eating it, <laughs> it just makes life a lot more difficult but um i certainly got into the habit of like having just like a huge bowl of like salad with every single meal and which is really productive for cutting periods <laughs> yeah yeah for sure and I guess um, I, James has some really good habits with uh, in terms of recovery. Like at night, he has a time where work stops and he relaxes and he has his casein pudding and he, you know, watches TV and then he goes to bed. Whereas I'll do things like work until work is done. Right. And then I end up, you know, stressed out five minutes before bed, get in bed, can't go to sleep. So he definitely has me beat on that one. But I've been trying to learn from him over time. But I think that's a really productive one just to be able to get yourself in a relaxed state and get to sleep because sleep is so critical for recovery. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a perfect example actually, because yeah, sleep is pivotal and having that kind of the nighttime ritual is something that once you do get it, it's like quite easy. And, um, yeah. I guess I, I kind of end up, I guess, putting that habit with another one of, I put like my blue light blockers on and once they're on, yeah, it's like yeah. <laughs> everything falls into place. I kind of can't help but follow that like nighttime routine each time. We've been doing the blue blocker thing too, thanks to you. Oh, nice. <laughs> how how do you find them apart from looking awful? <laughs> yeah, they're great. I was doing them on a, I wore them on a flight um, when I was trying to reset. I forget where I was flying, but it was a long flight and I was trying to reset for the new time zone. And I had them on and the stewardess is like, what are those? <laughs> so I had to explain. <laughs> They're slightly more fashionable ones now if you if yeah. you, you want to pay like triple the price. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm okay with the door. <laughs> Fantastic. I don't know if there's anything else on habit formation and kind of goal um, acquisition. Where, where do you want to head? Yeah, I have a couple more. Um, awesome. So I have, I have two, actually three. So one of them... Um, is based on a study that I call the milkshake study because I can't remember the title of the paper, but um, I can look it up if needed. Uh, so what they did was they took a bunch of people, two different groups, and the people were under the impression that they were coming to the lab in order to rate the tastiness of snacks to be served somewhere. Like, how good are these snacks? So they show up at the lab and one group gets a 2,000 calorie milkshake. The other group gets a glass of water and then they're sent in to do their taste testing. 
and they're given bowls of different snacks and they're told eat as much as you want and then you know rate them on a scale of one to five give your notes and what they didn't know is that people the scientists were going to be measuring how much they actually ate and the people who had just downed a 2000 calorie milkshake ate way more snacks wow. than the people who had had the water so I just think that's really interesting. They concluded some different things about willpower, but my conclusion was one, the palatability hypothesis is yep. relevant here. You know, just had a milkshake that just got those cravings going and they're going after it. And then I think a lot of people also had the tendency only in diet, not in other aspects of life for the most part, that once one little mistake is made, everything's a wash for the day or the weekend or whatever. Which is hilarious to me because if you pop one tire, you don't go screw it and, you know, stab the other three on your car. But with diet, you have one piece of pizza and you just people go crazy for the rest of the weekend. So I think that's a really interesting um, part of human psychology. I think it's something that's in all of us a little mm. bit. Um, we have the tendency to feel like once we've messed up, it's all ruined and we might as well just go for it. So I think recognizing that tendency in ourselves and sort of... Um, staying it a little bit it can be really helpful just to be aware and think about it when you've made a mistake not to let it uh turn into a landslide yeah i think that's fantastic and then, i think it's a good i whenever my clients kind of fall into that and they then don't ruin it it's kind of i just always try and i don't know if it's the right thing to be doing with habit formation because i don't know if it's part of it but like positive like i'm just like reflect on that and take that as a big positive right. no absolutely yeah yeah i think so i think taking just because habit formation is such a difficult thing and it's not, you know, it's not just in our heads. It's been uh, quantified and studied. It's hard for all of us. So I think taking the guilt out of it and letting people sort of, that's actually the next thing that the next thing that I was going to say is logging your successes, however small. Nice. So making sure that you're recognizing each bit of progress you make, because a lot of people sort of look back on you know, they've worked on a diet for three months and they look back and they see the places they messed up when really if they were logging, you know, how often they messed up, it might have been going down across the three months or whatever it is. So making sure to track your progress is really helpful with giving you a more clear picture of how well you're doing. Mm -hmm. Other people often look back, think they did awesome and really they changed nothing. Right. So it's always a good idea to have a way to quantify, you know, like, Oh, I was, you know, presented with this temptation this day and I had a little bite, but I didn't eat the whole thing or I, you know, whatever, whatever. I keep using uh, fat loss diets, but that's just a really easy example mm -hmm. applies to, to other things as well. No, I think that's really great because I think I, I always think of, I don't know, people who are trying to like not smoke anymore and those sort of things or people who have binged and then they've gone however many days without it um, right. and recognizing that as a success, I think is really important. Because, I mean, sure, if you smoked or you binge ate and you suddenly stopped completely, that would be a huge success. But realistically, no one in the world does that. Mm. But if binging less and smoking less over time, then you're making progress and that's worth yeah. celebrating. Fantastic. Let's see, what else did I have? Oh, yeah, setting setting reminders. And I always uh, tell stories about Mike as an anecdote for this. <laughs> when we were like, in our well i guess i was already in my 30s but he was in his 20s um he had so many reminders on his phone for like take whatever vitamins he you know this was like before he had his phd and knew all his stuff so he was taking all kinds of weird vitamins and weird 
powders and things. And he had like frog sounds and like <laughs> alarms on his phone. And we'd hang out with him and just be like, oh, Mike, turn those off. But he's a really effective person and he's made progress consistently like through the last 10 years. So those reminders are can be really helpful just to like keep yourself accountable if you know present you wants future you to do something like help future you out and give them a little reminder that that's what they're supposed to do i guess that's uh built into the i know the rp app i think the diet app has that yeah, built yeah. in it kind of like says you've got a meal to eat or uh i know uh, i think on my fitbit i can set like a bedtime and a reminder for me so um i yeah i think those are great yeah, yeah. and yeah, really i've actually easy. been uh I've been using the RP app, just sort of playing with it. Uh, it's driving me crazy because <laughs> it reminds me all the time, but I'm like, I already know app. I already know. But no, it's it's great. I think um, I like that part of the app a lot. I think it's helpful. Yeah, I think it's I. the only thing I worry is then if you get into the habit, and I guess this can happen, of ignoring it. And then right, whenever right. it happens, it doesn't do the thing you want it to. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> you have to respond. Your behavior is still relevant. <laughs> Did you have one more point? Um, I Oh, uh, self-identity. So I think this one's really interesting and something to think about. I think um, there's we were at a seminar recently in Canada, and um, I was talking about this, and someone gave me a really cool example that replaced all my old examples, so I'm going to use him here. Um, when you identify yourself with some of the bad habits that you have, when it becomes a part of your identity, it can be really detrimental. Um, studies have shown that it's much harder to change a habit that you have integrated into your identity or how you describe yourself. So um, this guy who was very lean and jacked said he used to be very overweight and he would tell people, I'm just a happy fat guy. I'm just a happy fat guy. That was his joke and the way he like dealt with it. But he said, looking back, he realized he wasn't happy at all. He was miserable and didn't want to be fat. And that was his way of hiding that aspect of himself from people from people but it also got in the way of him making progress because if he's the happy fat guy and he starts working out and loses weight then he's sort of uh he seems insincere now right because he's been telling people that he's happy to be fat and now he's dividing his behaviors dividing from his uh stated identity so i think being very careful about how we describe ourselves or saying you know like chocolate is my weakness or I'm just lazy and phrases like this are uh, very, more detrimental than we realize I guess to how our behavior. They kind of so. feed the excuse in some ways, I guess. And yeah. would it be better to, I don't know, I guess, is it too far to think of yourself as the thing you want to be or is that too far because it's... No, I think that's important. I think start like someone who has just started working out, help them call themselves an athlete but give them support for it like i am an athlete because i train regularly and consistently like give them the evidence to support the new identity and then help them to learn to see themselves that way because of the behaviors that they have developed Mm -hmm. yeah fantastic i think that's really important because i always say like the saying is i guess like body follows mind so um, a lot of the things we've talked about in fact like the um, t- telling yourself kind of I'm going to order a Diet Coke when the bar asks me this or uh, I think of myself as someone who can um, adhere to a diet and be successful in that sense I guess a lot of it is mental and like habit formation is uh, all mental although yeah. we're doing physical things it's all kind of just like automatic behaviors absolutely yeah it's called um it's I think it's related to priming Are you oh, familiar yes. with that 
Yeah. So sort of like just to give listeners an example, if someone, if you are played a song in your ear that you can't even perceive, so it's played on a little speaker in your ear and someone will ask you, do you hear anything? You say no, but you know, you're not consciously hearing it, but something, some neurons are firing in your brain. And then you're later asked, do you prefer this song or another song that was never played? You'll prefer the song that you heard, even though you don't know you heard. So the brain likes things that are familiar. So when there's even, you know, rehearsal in your head for anything that you want to do will actually help you do that thing, Mm -hmm. whether it's a physical thing or a decision you want to make or anything like that. Yeah, I think. So definitely body falls mind. (laughs) I think I've even seen that sort of, um, it, and I, it's kind of related, I guess, is in like advertising or marketing where you just see it so many times. It's almost like right. you're then, yeah, you see it on the shelf, you have to buy it. Really important. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly why it's a basic part of our psychology. Cool. We like the familiar. The unfamiliar yeah. might kill us in evolution. So I <laughs> think that's probably <laughs> the basis. Is there an age? I think I remember hearing that there was an age where we're more open to consuming, like we're not worried about eating certain things. And then there becomes an age where we're more like it, then we narrow it because we are scared. I don't know if that's at all related, but it's just coming to my head. Uh, I actually don't know about that, but I think it would make sense because as children, we're trusting in our parents to make food decisions for us. And then at some point we start getting developing to the point where we're, um, evolution has sort of primed us to watch out for ourselves a little and we start being skeptical of certain things i'm gonna say it's two because i i've heard people say it's terrible twos so (laughs) it could be two i don't know um i don't know if you had any more on habits there was one thing i wanted to touch on after if we had time yeah i think that's all i've got awesome and yeah i mean the, the i think that would be really helpful the the four steps and make people think about it a little bit more and there's some really easy takeaways like having reminders such an easy one uh, i know i use that i mean i have to especially people who are busy like it just you, yeah. you need it or busy or late I, i'm probably just on the lazy side so it really helps me <laughs> in that sense watch out yourself i didn't yeah that's true <laughs> um so yeah the, the final thing i want to touch on was uh, over on your instagram uh, regressive underload which is uh-huh. you right um yeah, yeah, there's some fantastic infographics and one you recently put out i thought was quite interesting um i i saw quite a few people like commenting on it and uh, it definitely i thought was worth discussion on a couple of the uh-huh. interesting points was and it was all to do with maintaining kind of healthy hormones during a, a fat loss phase and um two things i thought were uh, more interesting um than other things were kind of a lot of the listeners will know about was kind of the low end fat intake um and kind of what that is and why you came to that figure and then also the the inclusion of like omega 3s towards the end of a fat loss phase i'd be really interested to hear your ideas on those yeah actually that uh that post came as a response to uh i was in some group on facebook and there were some women saying that RP had ruined their hormones. And oh, I was wow. like, guys, we're, our play, our, everything that we do is designed to prevent any of those problems. So I kind of just wanted to put together some information on that because I think there's a lot of uh, misunderstanding. But yeah, keeping, so let's see, 0.3 grams per pound of body weight. So that would be 0.6 grams per kilogram mm-hmm. of body weight. Um, or technically of lean body mass, but to be on the safe end, okay. you can just do body weight because a lot of people don't know their lean body mass. Um, keeping your fats above that level will prevent 
in most people, um, health related hormone changes. So getting below that and you just don't have enough fats for your body to do the basic processes that it does with fats. So it's kind of similar to protein. You know, we need protein, obviously, to maintain our muscle, but every enzyme in our body is also composed of protein. So for all of our biological functions, we need protein. So there's sort of a base level of fats that are required to keep health. And um, a lot of times when fats get really low, omega-3s tend to be what you lose the most of. We tend to eat more omega-6 and a good ratio of those promotes good hormonal health. So usually whenever I start getting my fats really low on a cut, I add some omega-3 vitamins just to be on the safe side. So I guess the omega-3s, would they be recommended for people that just, I don't know, they don't eat the the salmon or they don't eat the fatty fish yeah. generally would you yeah, rec- if you don't, don't eat any if you don't eat any fatty fish or anything with omega-3s then a supplement okay. is probably a good idea yeah cool. i was just wondering if there was any kind of special um like omega-3s had some special effects at that lower body fat point but it makes complete sense just yeah it's it's just the ratios like yeah. the tendency is you lose those as you drop fats so especially because i don't know having a couple of steaks of salmon there's like a good 15 to 20 grams of fat a lot of people don't want to kind of quote unquote weight yeah. that i guess whereas you could have yeah. three to six yeah, omega three capsules much more manageable um and i, I don't know if you... <laughs> sorry you get a little chunk i said go for tilapia and then you get a little chunk oh uh, yeah absolutely you'll get your omega-3s but it's much lower fat <laughs> fantastic uh mel brilliantly explained um i think there's some really good value for the listeners here uh, i thank you again for coming on um and Pat. where if people want to reach out to you i know i've already kind of plugged regressive underload and uh, (laughs) i'll make sure that's linked and if people want to reach out to you personally where should they head um yeah a personal message on the my instagram 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 is is fine or um, get in touch with rp and shoot me an email at my uh, renaissance periodization email perfect so thank you again mel and thank you guys for listening